0: What are we talking about? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm
1: for you! Can't wait! Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Coffee and Sports. It is the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. I am Chris and that, that is not Mo. That is Gene filling in for Mo this morning. Gene, how are you, sir?
0: I'm fired up, man. Had a great show last night. Um, Can't wait to talk about topics today. I feel incredible.
1: Gene, really happy to have you here this morning. Really happy happy to have all of you here this morning, no matter how it is that you are tuning in to us this morning, whether you are here watching us live on YouTube, whether you're on Facebook, whether you are over in our Roku audience. Glad to have you here as part of the show. And, Gene, let's get right into it this morning. I want to start with talking about the NFL and Jamal Adams. So the league is looking into potentially disciplining Jamal Adams after his behavior on the sidelines – following his sideline evaluation for the concussion protocol, in which he was removed from the game Monday night. Now, this came out yesterday. Since this came out, Jamal has come out and apologized as a result, uh, given his behavior and his sideline antics. Obviously, that was probably done, let's be honest, that was done because there was a rumor that he was going to be disciplined. So I imagine that's where the apology comes from. And then this kind of sparked an online debate uh, that mostly sided with Jamal. Uh, most of the people that I saw that were part of this debate basically said things like, he's passionate, he was upset, no one wants to be taken out of the game. You have to understand, he went through all these injuries previously. He's just trying to be on the field. This is his livelihood. And I read those comments, Gene, and I said to myself, that's great in all. What about the doctor whose job it is to make sure he's safe? What about the doctor whose job it is to make sure that he doesn't go back on the field and have something happen to him where he can no longer be in this game, where he can no longer have a livelihood because of a potential injury that he might have? The doctor was just doing his job. His job was to decide whether or not this man had a concussion and do what was best for the safety of this individual, and he was put in place by the NFL and the NFL Players Association. I get it, Gene. As an athlete, you never want to be removed from a game. I understand that. I get it. As an athlete who has had injuries previously, you don't want to be told you're injured again. I get it. At the end of the day, though, we're all adults, and at the end of the day, the doctor was just doing his job. You can be upset about it but I don't really feel the doctor deserves to be verbally accosted to the point where you have to be separated from the doctor on the sidelines by team officials. I feel he was completely ridiculous. And I don't think, I don't know if he should be disciplined for it. At the end of the day, he didn't get physical with the doctor. At the end of the day, he just basically threw a temper tantrum on the sidelines, but I don't think he was anywhere in the right for that. Where do you sit with this?
2: Well, there's
0: a lot of things to unveil here, right? So one, he had a concussion. So the doctor Correct. was right to pull him off the field. Correct. Um, and if he has a concussion, that technically means his brain's not functioning the way it's supposed to be functioning. Exactly. So I'm not going to put the full onus on Jamal Adams for snapping out. Of, as long as he didn't put his hands on the doctor, Correct. I don't think it's right what he did. But if I'm being completely honest, I understand it. And that like that's the part that I think a lot of people don't he was off the field for 13 months wasn't playing football this was his return he was ready the Seahawks team is ready he was fired up and just one quarter in he's out of the game because of a concussion and he wanted to get back in that game and he wanted so badly to be on that field but it's very obvious he was concussed he got kneed to the head he stayed down for a minute so I don't blame Jamal Adams for the emotional reaction and the one thing that i disagree with is i think the apology might have been sincere and i'll tell you why when you're wrapped up in the emotions of what happens and you were wanting to get back on the field and you fought this whole time to get back on the field and then you're told you got to check for a concussion you got to come off the field it's another injury it's another setback the emotions that might be running through a professional athlete's mind there are probably not the greatest He's, you know, he's fought to get back on the field and he now he's being told he can't get back on the field. So I think when the emotions calm down, when you can think about what the doctor was doing, you actually had a concussion, a brain injury, and you can actually separate yourself from the field. Your team gets to win, you know, no harm, no foul, you, as far as you didn't put your hands on him, I think the next day him coming out and saying, I'm sorry for the way I reacted. I shouldn't have reacted that way. I, I think that was sincere. I don't think that was uh, just to avoid discipline. I do think he should be fine. I don't think there should be any suspension, any type of punishment, but I think it should be a light fine. You got to understand he had a concussion. So it's it's not like he was thinking if he didn't have a concussion, and he reacted that way. Maybe I would think differently, but the fact that he had a head injury and he responded that way after missing 13 months of being on the field, I, I kind of understand the response.
1: Now, had he put his hands on him, <clears throat> we both sit in the boat at that point of completely unacceptable and the NFL is open to do whatever they feel is best?
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, whatever they feel is best, but I'm hoping they take into account that these doctors are there for concussion protocol, and if he does have a concussion, he's definitely not thinking in the right mind. I don't want to say throw the book at him and suspend yeah. him forever, but yeah. if he puts his hands on uh, the medical doctor uh, there to for his safety... Yeah, of course. I would I would think that there'd be a way steeper punishment than what happened.
1: Now, Gene, I have to imagine you gotta be feeling pretty good this morning, sir, as uh as the major league baseball playoff season opened up, and we're about to have JG on the show to talk about that. Your Phillies looked pretty good to open up the playoffs. Before we get JG in here, kind of give me a breakdown of what you saw. From the Phillies for the first two games, and what you think that's going to translate into as the Phillies open up their next series.
0: This team is battle tested. This team has been in the situations before. I think that when you look at the Philadelphia Phillies, you see a team full of veteran players that understand what their role are. They're built for this, right? So, like, I what we're going to talk about Atlanta. Atlanta's the best team in baseball. But if we're talking about the Philadelphia Phillies versus the Miami Marlins, the Marlins aren't a great lineup. They're not a deep lineup. They're missing. They're top two pitchers in their rotation. So they they were obviously down pitchers. The Phillies should beat them in two games. But the one thing that really stood out to me was where the hits were coming from, where the big hits were coming from. Uh, Bryson Stott, Trey Turner, Alec Bohm, Nick Castellanos. If those guys are rolling, you know what you're going to get from Schwarber and Harper. Now keep in mind, both the Miami threw out two lefties back to back. That's the Phillies kryptonite left-handed pitching with Harper and Schwarber being their two biggest bats. But when I watched that Phillies team last night, I watched a team that's battle tested. I watched a team that's been in the moment before that understands the moment. And I think that this might be a just my personal opinion. This might be a, a Philadelphia Phillies internal clubhouse issue, but I don't think that team gets up for regular season games the way they get up for playoff games. Like There's a lot of teams around Major League Baseball, Atlanta, Baltimore, Los Angeles, Tampa, that have mastered the art of being able to get up for games every single night and be able to play baseball games at a high level for 162 games. The Phillies start slow every year, and it's because they feel like these games aren't as important, but come playoffs, you'll watch this team, and even in the World Series last year, they're a scrappy bunch. They, they have each other's back, and it's fun to watch. It's really fun to watch this group. I don't I think the only lineup that you can argue that's deeper than Philadelphia's is Atlanta. I feel like the only pitching rotation that you can argue at the top is deeper than Philadelphia's is Atlanta. So you're gonna see that in this next series. I, I honestly think these are the best two teams in baseball.
1: Fun fact: Kyle Schwarber is the only player in Major League Baseball history to Homer in every potential level of the playoffs. Uh, wild card game, wild card round, DS, NS, World Series—he has done it all. Interesting. All right, let's have JG on the show this morning to continue breaking down our MLB coverage. JG, how are you, sir? Hey, good morning, fellas. We're gonna hold off. We're gonna hold off on the Braves and the Phillies because I think, like Gene said, we're, you're probably looking potentially at one of the best matchups this entire playoffs happening next, and it's a little disappointing. That's happening so early in the playoffs, but JG, let's first look at the other three series. Everything was a sweep. Everything was a sweep here in the wild card round. Which was the most surprising sweep to you, JG?
2: Most surprising sweep, I, I would actually say, was uh, Arizona over Milwaukee. Uh, the the pitching that the Brewers had I, it, it was one of the best. I know Minnesota. If you talk about the entire postseason, Minnesota has the best pitching. Uh, rotation uh, and, and even bullpen and that's why and, and they absolutely dominated Toronto and I think that was that wasn't as much of a surprise because pit, you know pitching still rules in the postseason no matter what and I know there's a lot of offense in this in this postseason but pitching dominated and Minnesota had to keep that game low to able to advance to the, uh, to the NLDS and they kept the score very low on on Toronto but with the pitching that the Brewers had, and how they planned it out with Corbin Burns starting with an ace going on game one and, and Arizona still being able to put runs across the board against them. That was a surprise. And I and I and I've been high on Arizona all year. I was, you know, as a surprise team, uh to to at least make the playoffs. I didn't think they were gonna have enough pitching to actually to beat Milwaukee. Now I think Milwaukee's offense was not as good as we probably could have been, and that was where they let they let them down. But the pitching absolutely got teed off on at times by the by the Dimebacks. Uh, Corbin Carroll was going to get his hits. I, I said this to uh, a few people. Corbin Carroll was going to get his hits. He's rookie of the year for the National League. He absolutely is a young stud, a future star, and he continued to show it in the, uh, in these two games. But the Brewers could not let the rest of the lineup beat them, and sure enough, they did. And that was a difference where the guys that could not pro- did not produce for Milwaukee didn't. But the rest of the lineup, other than Corbin Carroll, they did produce, and they'd be able to beat that pitching for Milwaukee. So a little bit of a surprise that, that, the, that the pitching for the Brewers let them down, which is the stable of that team. And the Diamondbacks were able to sweep. I, I, I would have thought they'd gone three. If Diamondbacks win, I, I, they would have gone three games. But a sweep, I was not expecting
1: that one. So obviously the Rangers are a good team. They had the collapse before the end of the season. We know that. But if you look on paper, the Rangers are a good squad. So when you're looking at the Atlanta Philly matchup next round, I would argue that the Rangers Oriole matchup is probably second right behind that as far as quality of a series. But then, JG, when I look at the other two series, I have to ask myself, you know, is there a potential of these just being sweeps? Because you got the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks, and I know they play in each other's division, but it could be a spot that might be too big for the Diamondbacks. I think that if the Dodgers swept the Diamondbacks, you wouldn't see shock and awe across Major League Baseball. And then I look over at the Astros and the Twins, and I agree with you, the Twins have great pitching. But at the same time, the Twins don't often find themselves in this situation, which is they want a playoff series. So can the Twins actually build on that momentum? And can they take advantage of the spot that they're in? And let's not forget, the Astros are a pretty good baseball team. So just looking at those two series in the next round, what do you think are the chances of either of those teams, the Diamondbacks or the Twins, moving on to the championship series?
2: I would say the Twins have a, a more likely uh, opportunity to advance than the Diamondbacks. It is, I think the Dodgers have shown that they can own the uh, the Diamondbacks throughout the regular season again, I, and and Gene and I will get into it here in a little bit. The regular season uh, now in the postseason means absolutely nothing, and it's about who's hot right now. And and, and both teams, Diamondbacks and and Twins, Sean, they got hot pretty quick and were able to handle their their wild card series very well. But you have to still go to the patterns of who you're facing. I, I think the Dodgers are a better team uh than what the astros are currently the twins have a likelihood of the pitching to slow down that offense whereas the diamondbacks don't have the pitching uh, consistent pitching to slow down that dodgers lineup the dodgers lineup is still very good astros lineup is good but they've been inconsistent so that pitching that the twins have can slow down that astros lineup now it's the same rule apply that i said about the twins and, and blue jays Twins have to keep it a low-scoring game for them to have a chance. If it goes over four or five runs, I don't think the Twins can win. They just don't have the ability to slug with the team. And the Astros are a good-hitting team, so they're going to slug a little bit, more more so than what we've seen with their pitching staff. But if so, if that goes above four runs, five, six runs, I think the Twins are in trouble. But if they keep it under four, they have a shot. The Diamondbacks – as much as surprise, I, I, you know, they're are they going to out hit Dodgers? I don't know. The question for the Dodgers is that pitching staff. There's a lot of injuries and a lot of things that I've heard. Again, no Tony Gosselin out with an injury. Walker Bueller didn't come back. He's still out with Tommy John. Julio Urias is is basically been kicked out, uh, like you know, banned from the team. Uh, you know, so you're you're relying on Kershaw and a few and, and Lance Lynn and a couple rookies to be able to lead this this pitching staff that's very tough. So that's going to be the likely, the the likely opportunity for Diamondbacks. I think it's still the Twins have the better opportunity because the Astros is not Astros aren't as good as what we've seen in the past 5 6 years compared to what the Dodgers. I know they're not as good as what we've seen in the past 5 6 years but they're still a really good team. So I'm giving the Twins to have the likely opportunity to move on to the uh, ALCS more so than the Diamondbacks.
1: Gene, when the baseball season begins, you look at a team like Texas, you look at a team like Baltimore, and you say to yourself, man, on paper, this could be a squad. But then, you know, as a Texas Rangers fan, and especially as a Baltimore Orioles fan, you also, in the back of your mind, you're saying, but we've said this before. We felt good about our team before. And we come in, and we, don't, we don't even make the playoffs. So as the season gets going, you realize, hey, our team is good. You know, halfway through the season, you're like, hey, we got something cooking. Then those fans start to realize we're going to go to the playoffs. Like this is going to be a thing. And now here we are. So Orioles are in the playoffs. Rangers are in the playoffs. They're both in the second round of the playoffs. Gene, who do you like better in this spot going into this series? Because you have two teams that haven't necessarily had the greatest records or success lately in Major League Baseball, but they have really two good teams right now. So who do you like coming into this series and who do you think is going to come out of this series?
0: I like Baltimore in this series. I, I think that that fan base is going to be way too much for Texas games one and games two. And I think that if you get in a 2-0 hole versus Baltimore and they only have to win one, I think they'll take one down in Texas. I like the series to go four. But I, I think the thing that you, you really want to touch on the most is these, how similar these teams are, right? Without Max Scherzer pitching for Texas, you have a very light ace on both staffs. You have a very light pitching staff on both staffs. And you have a lot of young talent. You have a lot of young talent in the lineup. Um, I love what Baltimore is doing. I think they're a year ahead of pace. I think that Arizona is two years ahead of pace. And when you look at some of these teams that are in the playoffs, it's great to see a new you, – you have to understand, we haven't seen Baltimore or Texas in an LCS, and you're going to see one of those teams in a championship series <coughs> – Next round, and that's incredible to me. That's 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 great for baseball. I like Baltimore in this series. I think they beat them in four. I, I really do like what Texas is doing. I love their middle infield, and Corey Seager has finally lived up to the potential that we've seen from him in, in Los Angeles. Um, he's living up to that contract this year. Uh, if it wasn't for uh, if it wasn't for Shohei having an incredible year, I think he's the AL
1: MVP. JG, who do you like, Baltimore or Texas, coming out of that series?
2: I mean, I, I agree, this is going to be a really good series, uh, and it's a very good matchup. And and if I'm Baltimore, though, I'm this is a matchup I did not want. I would have rather Tampa to to face in the DS because. Texas has this high powered offense. They are the best offense in the American League and 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 kind of going to the extension if it wasn't for the Atlanta Braves having the historical season they had. We talk about the Texas Rangers being the best offense in baseball, but they are the best offense in the American League. They can score runs in a bunch. They can they have power. They hit the, they hit for, you know, for uh uh, for you know, contact with you know Marcus Simeon, Evan Carter coming out of nowhere in the in, a, in this wild card round, absolutely you know doing things that we haven't seen rookies do. Josh Young, the same thing, kind of having you know having a good series. Like this lineup is deep, and as much as the pitching has kind of been has slowed down with the injuries of Degrom and even Scherzer kind of not there, they, they pitch well. The the bullpen is going to be the biggest question for this team. Starting pitching is actually pretty good. But if the bullpen if the bullpen can hold and let this offense get you, you know, five, six, seven runs, they're very tough to beat. The or the Orioles are the team that's going to probably be able to hit with them. And I agree about this with you know as far as you know where the Orioles are. And the Orioles are about a year ahead. The Orioles are kind of like the Atlanta Braves were a few years ago. Very young team, had some veterans mixed in, but they were just they they just gelled so well. And they are young. And and, and the scary part for the Orioles is they have. Their top four prospects still in the minors right now. That you know, Jackson Holiday being one, they, they were able to keep their, uh, their top four from the trade deadline, and they're going to be coming to the big leagues probably next season. So they're just going to get better and younger. That's and that's pretty scary to think for the American League East that th- this Baltimore team's for real. and They're going to be for real for a long time. The, the you know, as far as for the series, and I kind of I, I think it's going to go five. I think this series is going to go five, and it's just going to be a slugfest because both teams' pitching is good, but the offenses are better. And I think that they're going to. Both teams will score a lot of runs in this series. I'm interested to see how Baltimore is going to be uh, as far as that fan base. It is one of the most passionate fan bases that have just been hungry for postseason play. And when they have been in the postseason, we've seen in the years past. Even you know, as long as it's been, that fan base can get raucous at, at that ballpark in Camden Yards. So I am in, I'm I'm actually kind of excited. As a baseball fan, I'm excited to see Baltimore in the postseason, see what that fan base is going to be like. And it's going to be very interesting. I think it'll go five games. And, and I, I do think oh, – actually, I, I, I think oh, Baltimore. I, I kind of lean in towards Baltimore winning this series because I do think the consistency of this team, and they have been very consistent all season – I think that's going to carry into the postseason more so than just what the Rangers have been with. your offense has been high powered. I think consistency will win this series.
1: JG, do you think and <laughs> I, I could be I, this literally just popped into my, my mind about 45 seconds ago. Do you think that Marcus Simeon is an underrated player in Major League Baseball? Because I look at his last three stops. All right, His last year in Oakland, he hits. he had a great season in Oakland his last year there. Uh, he puts up good numbers, 33 home runs. He goes to Toronto. Well, he played the, take out the COVID season. Uh, he goes to Toronto, absolutely explodes 45 home runs, 102 RBIs. Toronto's like, no, we're okay. You're getting kind of older. He's like, all right, let me go to Texas real quick. Then he goes to Texas and just keeps on doing it. He's averaging 30 home runs a year, uh, eight, RBIs a year. And I know he's getting a little bit older, but the last five years, like, the consistency from this guy and nobody talks about him he's been with three different teams why is no one talking more about him you
2: no know, he is underrated and it's he he's one of those guys where if you look at him can I kind of say what you know what's what is special i mean he doesn't have great batting average and that's what he's supposed to be if you're a second baseman you don't have you know tremendous power and he and he has power that it's a little bit sneaky, I guess, that you could probably say because you don't expect him to have the power, but he'll put 45 home runs in Toronto in 2021, uh, 26 home runs last year in 2022, 29 home runs again this year. Something that you don't really expect Marcus Simeon to really have if you take a look at him. It's kind of like Ozzie Albies. Ozzie Albies is a small guy, but he has just tremendous power. You know, The, the batting average is something that you kind of sit there and go, okay, well, it's not. that's not there. And That's something that you kind of hope. If anything, he, if he could bat 280, I think you could really have a conversation with Marcus Simeon being one of the top second basemen you know, in, in the game versus batting 265 in 2021 with Toronto 248, 2022 and 276, 276 close you can be. And I think that's where it is. If he was batting 282, 285, you could have a conversation that Simeon is one of the top second basemen in the game. And I think there's certain aspects that he's just that, that he gets forgotten about. And, and playing in Texas, playing in Toronto, playing in Oakland, it kind of hinders the conversation of having you be in there. Whereas if he was playing in Chicago Cubs, if he was playing with the Cubs, if he was with the Red Sox, if he was with the uh, the Dodgers, you, know, you would have that conversation a lot more about Simeon being talked about more so than Oakland, Toronto, and in Texas. So is he underrated? Yes. Does he do, you know, is he, for, for what this Rangers team, and for Seager being out as much as he was this year, Marcus Simeon was the reason this team continued to play very well. The leadership. That he exhibited for this club when Seager was out, and a lot of the guys, you know, have to say, have said this before, Bruce Bochy has said this. Simeon was the reason they kept on going because of his experience, his leadership that carried this team through some of the, that rough times that patches where they could have been like, okay, well, we don't have our pitch, our number, our pitchers, our number one's gone. Seager, our MVP candidate, he's been he's been in and out of the lineup with injuries. You know, we can tank. We've seen teams when that happens, like just absolutely crumble. Simeon was the reason they didn't. And so, yes, I agree. He's very underrated. If he was playing anywhere else in his career, we would have a conversation that Marcus Simeon is one of the top second basemen in the
1: game. All right, gentlemen, let's get to the main event. It is going to be the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies. Like Gene said earlier, this is easily the best matchup of this round of the playoffs, and it might be the best matchup of the entire playoffs this year. Gene, we're going to start with you. Tell me why the Phillies are going to beat the Braves in this series.
0: So I, if you listened to wire to wire last night, I actually projected that the Braves win the series in four. Um, So if you want to know how the Philadelphia Phillies can win the series, I'll give you how they need to split in Atlanta. They split in Atlanta. Ranger takes game one in Atlanta. Something like that happens. Atlanta is not coming home for game five. And I'm telling you as clear as day, Atlanta should win the first two games of the series. When you're throwing out Spencer Strider and it looks like it's going to be Max Fried for game two with an elder and a slash bullpen game for game three, if you're throwing out your two aces at home, you need to win those two baseball games. 100%. That Strider doesn't want to come play in Philadelphia. All the comments from last year are very, are very prevalent. He talked about how loud the crowd was and he was shook. Reese Hoskins hitting that home run. The whole place erupted. I think in Atlanta they have a little bit of um, – Worry coming into Philadelphia. So coming up with a 2-0 lead in Atlanta, Marks plays well for them. They're the deepest team in baseball, deepest lineup, deepest pitching staff. They're the best team in baseball, bar none. However, if any team has that puncher's chance, that knockout chance, the way you beat Atlanta is you beat them with the long ball, just like they beat you with the long ball. You need Schwarber, Harper, Castellanos, Real Muto, Boom. The Philadelphia Phillies lineup is stacked. It is great. Filled with players that can smoke the ball, Bryson. And a lot of people don't know this, but Bryson Stott's barrel rates like 90 in the 98th percentile. He's like one of the top players in the league at barreling a baseball, and that's like our 7 8 hitter for the season. Look, at, I'll, I'll look at it this way the way the Phillies win this series is they steal one in Atlanta and have Atlanta start remembering last year. When they come into the bank for game three, if you get a little bit of a lead up in a series where where it's 1 1, Atlanta will crumble. I don't think that they're mentally tough. I don't. I think they're more talented than any team in baseball. I think they're the best team in baseball. I think they're the most talented team in baseball. They have the best organization in baseball, from scouting to pitching staff to minor league system. They are the best-run organization in baseball. They lost Freddie Freeman. They went out and replaced him, when they got to hit 50 home runs this year. I, Atlanta's great. I just don't know if they're they're war-ready, and I guess we'll find that out this year. Then we see if the, they, they beat the Phillies.
1: JG, the Braves went 8-5 and five against the Phillies during the regular season. Obviously, playoff baseball is a completely different animal than the regular season. But in all fairness, you guys have seen each other a lot. You play in the same division. So you guys have a good indication of what both teams are offering. Why will the Braves win this series, JG?
2: Well, let me counter that first point that, he's, uh, that, that Gene made about not being battle tested Uh, this club. And I know certain, certain guys, you know, weren't in 20 weren't there in 2021 Olsen and Harris wasn't there. And Sean Murphy wasn't there. Uh, But this club still played in Dodger stadium and beat the Dodgers in the Uh, NLCS. One of the toughest places in postseasons to play. They did beat the Astros in Houston to clinch the world series in 2021. One of the toughest places in postseason to play. So I don't think that the fear is there of 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 the of of Philadelphia? Yes, got us last year. Here's the difference between last season and this season. You have a healthier team. You did not have Ozzy Alves in the lineup last year. Ronald Acuna was still coming back from a knee injury last year. Ronald's healthy, and seen, we say, obviously we saw it. he's about to be MVP this year. Ozzy Alves is healthy. He's you know 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. You know, he, he's he's uh, back to his – he had a career year this year. Marcelo Zuna is back to his ways of hitting 40 home runs and 100 RBIs. Matt Olsen, 50 home runs, 100 RBIs. Austin Riley, 35 home runs, I believe 35 or 35, 100 RBIs. You know, Michael Harris, you know, it, it was – he figured out – Michael Harris last year versus this year. And, and I think, you know, we said – I think Ranger Suarez is going to pitch in game one for the Phillies. Michael Harris batted almost 300 against lefties this year. He did not do that last year. So you have – different, you know, the, the matchup of this team versus last year's team against Philadelphia is not the same. This is not the same team in regards of how they've performed and how they've been able to click. I agree about Strider pitching game one. I actually if, – if it was up to me, and I kind of put this in, in our group, I would not pitch Max Fried in game two. I, I would not. I would pitch – and I know you said elder. I'd actually pitch A.J. Smith-Shawker one way or another you're pitching a rookie all right but so smith shawler has pitched better in the last month and he actually in the, their their inner squad workout games they've been doing right now and it's something that's very brilliant that ryan snicker's doing instead of just having practices uh this this week they're actually still following the scheduled games that they're having so they follow you know pitchers are pitching on their on their days that they're supposed to pitch and continuing to the the you know, of, of saying hey this is what tuesday was game 163 Wednesday was game 164. Today they're playing again 165. They have a regular practice day as if it's a travel day on Friday, and then they play on Saturday from there. So brilliant strategy that they're changing up this season. But A.J. smith Schauber has pitched much better, and they have a little bit of a pattern what they've done. They have pitched uh, smith Schauber three to four innings, and they bring in Kyle Wright to pitch three or four innings as well, and they've shrank the game that way. So there's your bullpen game. smith Schaffer, who's who's electric, and then you throw in Kyle Wright, who you're not asking him to go pitch six, seven innings. You're asking him to pitch three or four, which he has good stuff to still do three or four innings. So that would be my game two. And then I throw my ace in game three, who pitches so well on the road. And he is your best road pitcher in Max Freed in game three. So if you can win game one with Strider in Atlanta, and he pitches very well in Atlanta, you, you win game two. You know, let's just say this, even if you don't win Game 2 let's just say for Gene's sake, they, they do split in Atlanta. But I have my ace, and I know they're gonna throw Nola in game three more likely. Uh, I have my ace to pitch to counter against Nola at that point, which we do hit Nola very well. We do.
0: Everyone does this year.
2: There you, there you go. I'm so not a Nola.
0: To- first of all, I'm not a Nola fan, but let oh, me counter what you said I- earlier. You said that th- this team is battle tested, but then you told me this isn't the same team from last year. Correct. I don't. The five of the nine starters weren't on that 2020 team.
2: I, that's why I said I said that that you know, this is, some guys were not there in 2021. But you have got again. Even Acuna didn't play in the, in the World Series in 2021. He wasn't there the in point. the NLCS in 2021. So I agree that that's why I said that uh, before. Before the point was made that there's certain guys that were not on that team, but the culture, the culture of this team. Is built on what they achieved in 2021, and that culture has continued to build and succeed. And that's where I say, that's why I brought the, I brought the point of, of what they did against the Dodgers. And it showed again where they were able to take three or four in the last series in LA against uh, against the Dodgers this season. They went into a postseason atmosphere and were able to beat the Dodgers three or four times. They went to a postseason atmosphere against the Philadelphia Phillies in, in September, and they clinched the division from there so they're not I don't believe they're afraid because they understand this is not the same team from last year they are healthier as far as lineup was I know uh, Freed has the blister still right now that's why another reason why I pitched Freed in game three because that gives them two extra days to have that finger ready to go versus throwing him game two and, and kind of rushing the process from there but this team has battle been battle tested based off of what they have achieved in September you know beating the Dodgers and beating the Phillies when the games mattered the most to be able to secure what they needed to get to this point here's the other side of two last year they were the hunted they were the hunted they were the world they were world series champions in 20 uh, you know the defending world series champions in 2022 they were the hunted they are not the hunted anymore philadelphia is they're the defending national league champions and they have to prove themselves that's why i said last night to you this series will be the world series champions whoever wins this series will be the World Series champions because this is, I believe, the two best teams, but also the teams that can get the hottest very quick in, a, in, in the NLCS and going into the World Series. They pitch well. As you said, this is a mirror image series. Pitching, they both pitch very well. Hitting, this is the two best offenses in the game because they match up extremely well with each other.
0: The one question I have for you is you, you want to save Max Fried for Game 3 in Philadelphia. You're assuming that Spencer Strider wins Game 1. How does that mentality change to you if Ranger goes out and steals a game in game one? Do you not pitch free in game two? Do you risk going down 0-2 at home? I think that Atlanta is setting up their rotation to make sure at the absolute worst, they're 1-1 leaving Atlanta. They need to leave Atlanta 2-0. I truly believe that. And I'll give you the difference as far as the ballparks. Last year, Atlanta had a problem selling out their ballpark for a home game in the playoffs. Philadelphia, you can't get in the house for less than three hundred dollars. It's a totally different atmosphere getting into the ball game. The home field advantage absolutely matters come playoff time. It's electric in the bank. Just watch what watched the Bryson Stott home run without the announcers, and just listen to that place. If Game One you guys lose, do you not pitch Max free Game Two?
2: I don't remember. I don't. Rem, I'll have to go back and look. I don't remember they were having a hard time selling out, and because because they sell out, they sell out games very easily in Truist Park. That's you know the thing. That's one thing that I'm. I'm is being a Braves fan, but I but I, I hate. I, I I will say this. I hate Atlanta fans. Being a Braves fan again, as part of being a New Orleans Saint fan too, I have to I have to trash the 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 city at times. That's very conflicting as well. But I, I do hate Atlanta fans because. They they are that way. They are pretty fickle at times, to where you hey you know they take it for granted. So I will agree at times they do that, but they haven't been able to, over the last few years. They haven't that they've sold that stadium out even on a Sunday one o'clock game against uh, against Pittsburgh. They sell out. So they, they were able. They've been able to get it kind of going where they can sell. I'm not worried about that fan base again. That the drums going, the lights go off. The, you know, the, the, everything. That, that fan base, that stadium is a very, very good postseason atmosphere, especially we saw that in 2021. We saw that there. And I think this season is going to be back to 2021 because, uh, because there's some angry fans about how last year uh, didn't, didn't go our way. We didn't play well in the postseason. Philadelphia beat us. This is your chance for, you know, talking about, I keep saying the Philadelphia Revenge Tour, you know, is what I'm, what I keep saying. This is the true revenge series for the Braves. Because you you got beat last season, you know. There's no excuses, and I'll never make excuses. We got beat last year. This is your chance to revenge that. Because again, the winner of this, as I said, winner of this series is going to win the World Series. So you have your chance to supplant yourself as the favorite going into the NLCS and to the World Series. So. The fan I think that's. I think this stadium, as much as uh, as, as much as the, the Philadelphia is going to be raucous when we get to Game Three and Four, this stadium is going to absolutely explode in uh, in Games One and Two, especially if we have an Acuna home run or or Olson or, or Rod. If someone puts a ball into the stadium, I like what Hoskins did last year. If 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 one of those guys, let's just put it as if Acuna puts one into the seats. We saw that in 2018 when they hit a grand slam against Bueller, that stadium is going to absolutely explode. So I, I, I think that I think this is going to be, you know, again the two biggest, you know, two most passionate fan bases. I, you know, as much as I said, I, as much as I, I joked with you last night, I hate Philadelphia, you know, fans. I absolutely despise them. They are very, I agree with you. I they are a very passionate fan base, but but this the Braves fan base is equal because of the success they've had. This is going to be a lot of fun. You had
0: me until you said equal, they're not equal, but I will say this, JG. I love you, I love your knowledge of baseball, and I I think the Philadelphia fan is the most under misunderstood fan in all sports. How? I think that if I, I do, I oh, think bro, there it,
2: most, okay, how do you misunderstand when you throw batteries at, at Santa Claus?
0: First of all, they didn't throw batteries at Santa Claus and it snowballs at santa claus and it was a 19 19- batteries was, inside and it there was, was batteries, 19- <laughs> batteries were a jd drew and if you if you really want to get it the snowballs at santa claus have broken down numerous times i don't know i know we don't have time for that but i will say this that snowballs at santa claus story is is the most worst told story ever it was a fake santa that snowed he was drunk and scaring kids a bunch of Philadelphia fans threw snowballs at him to get him oh, to really. stop pulling his beard down. A lot of people don't know that they need to know the full story.
2: That's even worse. That you, you know, you had—I'm you had, assuming he was from Philadelphia. So you had a drunk Santa they that was grabbed the, the guy home. out of the
0: parking lot because Santa Claus couldn't make it to the game because it snowed. It's not a joke. That's really what happened. They hired a Santa Claus. It was a torrential downpour storm. He couldn't make it to the game. They grabbed the guy out of the parking lot and made him a Santa Claus, and he was drunk. So he started pulling his beard down, and and Eagles fans are like, you're scaring kids, and they threw snowballs at him. That's the truth.
1: All right, gentlemen. On that, we are going to wrap up our baseball segment this morning. JG, pleasure as always, sir, and we will see you here next week.
2: As always, appreciate it. See you next week, brother.
1: Gene, always great to have JG here on the show. Saturday is the day. Saturday is the day where all of these series – get underway. And I agree with both you and JG, uh, the winner of the Braves-Phillies series. I think that is going to be not only the team that goes to the World Series for the NL, but I think it's going to be the winner of the World Series, because these are far and away the two best teams left in the playoffs. But Gene, let's pivot a little bit here. Let's get back to some NFL stuff. We had a trade in the NFL yesterday. We have JC Jackson going from the Chargers back to the Patriots. Obviously, the Patriots just suffered a devastating injury in their secondary. So they're reaching back into their past and pulling back a player who, in all fairness, he played really well during his time with New England. Not as well with his time with the Chargers. But let's be honest, Gene, who on the Chargers defense really has played well under Staley, um, given the talent on that side of the ball and the expectations on that side of the ball. Do you think this is a situation, Gene, where we see J.C. Jackson get back to his Pro Bowl form that he was in his first run with New England, thus making it more of a Chargers issue as to why he didn't play at the same level there? Or do you think this is just, I mean, I'm not going to say New England reached, the value they got in here for him, getting him back, astronomical. The value was amazing. So even if he goes there and plays the exact same way he did for the Chargers, still worth it in my opinion. Because at some point you're going to have Christian Gonzalez back and you're going to pair those two together and it's going to look really nice on the back end. So I'm not going to criticize New England at all for this deal. I'm going to criticize the Chargers because I have no idea what's going on with that organization. But let's start with how do you think J.C. is going to play back in New England?
0: Well, starting there, I think J.C. Jackson gets back to form playing under a good defensive coach in Bill Belichick. I think that coaches scheme players to play well in different environments. And I think that it could be easily said that Brandon Staley could be a bottom three, if not worse, coach in football. You're talking about a guy that has a defensive pedigree, that has so much talent on the defensive side of the ball, yet they're defensively anemic. I I don't understand how that works. This man still has a head coaching job. Bill Belichick will put J.C. Jackson in the exact same role he was in before. It's no no secret what New England does against wide receivers. They double-team your number one wide receiver, and then they put their number one cornerback on their number two. That is their style of defense. You don't have to worry about what's going on. You're going to follow around the number two if you're the number one guy. So J.C. Jackson's going to follow around the number two wide receiver on the field, and they're going to double the number one. Simple scheme understand it makes sense it makes logical sense if we're just looking at the NFC East and just looking at teams if you had Darius Slay following around Jahan Dotson or Curtis Samuel you would give the edge to Darius Slay it's a very intelligent scheme whereas Brandon Staley I don't know what he's doing there in Los Angeles I I cannot understand how they have that much talent on the defensive side of the ball yet they can't look good defensively Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, J.C. Jackson, Asante Samuel Jr. You got great players coming out the wazoo. And I didn't even mention the best player on their defense, Derwin James. They have so many great players on that defense, yet they look anemic. I wonder why coaching matters.
1: And it's funny because Chargers fans were rallying around Khalil Mack this weekend. Six sacks, great, great individual performance. And I look at that, Gene, and I go, yeah but you, minutes ago, the game was still in question. Like, despite that amazing individual performance by a great individual defensive player, with a minute to go, you're still backed up in your own territory, and you're asking yourself, are they going to get the ball back and lose this game? Because that's what we were looking at with a minute to go in that game. So I understand the talent, and we do see that occasionally with the Chargers. You see great individual performances on that defense, but yet they're still giving up 20 or 30 points a game and they're still losing games, despite great individual performances. So like you said, all that money is over there being paid for that defense. All that talent is over there on defense. And they just, for some reason, don't seem to be able to get it together. Let's talk about another potential trade. The Panthers, rumors have been circula- circulating that they're looking for a wide receiver uh, before the trade deadline this season, which makes sense. They got rid of their number one wide receiver to help them get the quarterback of the future. Thielen has played... Good this season. He's not a one, but he's been a reliable safety blanket for the quarterback in Carolina. But I think they're realizing that they need more than that. They need explosiveness, they need a playmaker on the outside, and they don't have that currently. And one of the names that I thought was interesting, Gene, is T. Higgins. Higgins has basically already been told that he's probably not coming back to Cincinnati. They don't have the money to pay him, he, especially not the money that he wants. He wants number one money. And on most teams, he would probably get number one money because he is a very talented wide receiver. Now, I'm not going to say he's a top 10 wide receiver in the league. But I think if you looked at him, and you spread him out across the 32 teams. You could argue on a handful of teams, he would easily be their number one receiver. And if you were to put him in Carolina, he would fulfill that role. Hands down, no question about it. Do you think it makes sense for both sides? Because, again, if you're Cincinnati, you just paid Joe Burrow, you apparently don't have the money or want to pay him what he wants to stay. If you think he's leaving, wouldn't it make sense to make that move? Or are you going to look at it as we're not going to take away weapons from Joe Burrow right now? He's going through his own thing with that calf injury. We need to keep as much talent around Joe as we can this season because we don't want to completely just start selling off parts this season and making it harder. So if you're the Bengals and you receive an offer that you like for T. Higgins, what do you do? Do you pull the trigger now or do you say, no, we're not going to take away weapons from Joe. We'll see where we get at the end of the season.
0: Well, first of all, I think it's a terrible trade for the Carolina Panthers. I want to start there because that's what you started with. Carolina doesn't need to make this trade. They're not going to win the division. They're not going to be in the playoffs. This is a development year for Bryce Young. I don't know why you would trade more draft capital after you already traded a ton of draft capital to get Bryce Young. You have a receiver that you took in the second round and Jonathan Mingo. He's there. Adam Thielen's your security blanket. Miles Sanders, you paid a ton of money in the offseason. I think what Carolina needs to do is focus on max protection and being able to protect Bryce Young and see what he has see what you have in these young wide receivers, and then you can go out and sign one in the offseason as you have a ton of cap space. Like If you can get T. Higgins for a seventh-round draft pick, sure, but the Bengals aren't giving him up for a seventh-round draft pick. They're going to want a three or a four. That's what they're going to want. It doesn't make logical sense for Carolina at all. They're not a good football team. They have zero wins on the season. You need to see if your young quarterback can develop with some of these young wide receivers. So I think that's a terrible move for them. Let's move over to Cincinnati. Are you giving up on the season? Are you putting Joe Burrow on the IR and allowing him to fully health, help himself become healthy? Then I would trade T Higgins. But if you're not doing that, they're talking about Sunday being a must win, and Joe Burrow feels the best he's felt uh, this whole year. If that's the case, and you still want to win, and you still want to compete for a Super Bowl, then no, you don't trade T Higgins. If you if somebody offers you a first round draft pick for T Higgins, sure but you don't trade T Higgins in a season that you still are are trying to compete. I'd see what happens this week versus Arizona. See how this week plays out. If Joe Burrow looks better, I'm keeping T Higgins. Um, If Joe Burrow still looks like he's hobbled and they lose to Arizona. Yeah. I put Joe Burrow on the IR and I let him fully heal. And I, and I have a, a fire sale on anybody I could. So if somebody wants to give you compensation for the rights of uh, a rental of T Higgins, he's going to be a free agent. What are you going to do? You got to sign him. If you trade for him, I, I I think right now it's a terrible move for both teams.
1: And like you said, Joe Burrow came out this week and he stated that he thinks the worst of the calf injury is behind him. And Gene, you you know how calf injuries are; these linger. Um, It's something that if you don't give it time to heal, you're going to be dealing with it on and off throughout the season. So I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, Burrow is just, you know, talking out of both sides of his mouth. I think that maybe he does feel better. I think that maybe he feels that he is in a better spot than he was two weeks ago. But I also don't think he's completely healthy. And And I think he knows that. And I think what he's doing is he's trying to rally himself. He's trying to rally the troops. And he's trying to say, listen, guys, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. Stop talking about my damn calf, all right? Like, I feel fine. Let's go out there and and, and do what we got to do because he did call this a must-win game. And on paper, this shouldn't be a game that is particularly close, but you're looking at a Cincinnati team that got steamrolled last week by the Tennessee Titans. And I'm sorry, Tennessee Titan fan, your team isn't that great. So I get that you absolutely dismantled the Cincinnati Bengals, and I take nothing away from you because you did do that and you dominated all phases of the game and you earned that victory, but let's not act like Tennessee is a team that people are writing into the playoffs because they're not. People are not even confident. Tennessee is going to finish over 500 this season. So let's not get too excited about that. And if you are the Bengals, you have to look at it. Like we got beat by an average Tennessee Titans team convincingly. And Arizona gene is not nearly as bad as they have been predicted to be. They are a very feisty club. So I would not be shocked if Arizona beat Cincinnati based solely on the performance we saw from Cincinnati last week. So I agree. If you're talking playoffs, and I think that's what Joe Burrow is talking about. If you're talking playoffs, this is a must-win game. If you're just talking the season in general and you're not talking playoffs, this game doesn't really matter. If they lose this game, Do you do shut down Joe Burrow?
0: 100%. I'm shutting him down. I'm putting him on. If if they lose this game and he still looks bad in the pocket and it looks like he's still hampering a calf injury, I'm putting him on IR. I might even tell him I'm putting him on IR. I'm like, you're going on IR. It's not even like up for debate, and I'm going to have a fire sale. If you start the season 1-4, and you're not making a playoff, especially in the AFC North. So you need to understand that immediately. If you lose a game at Arizona, that's a game that you can't lose. I'm shutting Joe Burrow down and I'm having a fire sale on any players that are left to see if I can get rentals.
1: New York Giants offensive tackle Evan Neal came out after the Monday night football loss to the Seattle Seahawks and he started questioning the Giants fan base. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through, Gene. I'm going to explain to you his side of the story here because obviously when I open it up with an NFL player is questioning the fan base, I think everyone's reaction is really. Uh, so his issue was the booming. His issue was the fact that the fans saw you know, early in the game the tush push. They lost an offensive lineman during that. They lost their second tight end during that. The offensive line was already banged up going into it. And his takeaway is, listen, You know we're banged up. You know we're doing everything that we can on our side of the ball to win this game. You are our fans. You came to our home to support us, and you think this is going to help? You think that you booing us is somehow going to make things better? You think that we're not out there trying hard enough for you? And then he went on to call his fans bandwagon fans. He went on to say, you know, I guess we got a lot of bandwagon fans in attendance at the game that night. And, Gene, I look at this and I say, "What? why are you talking? What, what are you doing, sir? Like, look, Phillies are a great example. I would argue Phillies fans are cut from the same cloth as Yankee fans. And Yankee fans have no issue telling you in the third inning how you're performing. And it doesn't matter who you are because they've booed Aaron Judge before, right or wrong. If they don't like what they see, they're going to tell you. And isn't that your right, Gene, as a paying sports fan? If you pay to go to an athletic event and you don't like what you see and you are a fan of that team, don't you have a right to just express how you're feeling?
0: Chris, you've done um, a really nice job of explaining what he said, but that's not what he said. What he said was, and I'm going to read you the quotes of what he said because I'm prepared for this part. Why would a lion concern himself with the opinion of sheep? The person that's commenting on my performance, what does he do? Flip hot dogs and hamburgers somewhere. That was the quote that he said, and I that quote is e- egregious, and that's I'm not kidding with you. If I'm the New York Giants organization, I suspend him a game for that quote. They pay your salary, Evan Neal, and I and I don't like. I'm not a guy, like, I get it. Philadelphia fans get a rap for booing when a team's... That team on Monday night did not put out the effort. They should have been booed. The effort was not there. I don't want to... Look, if there's guys dying on the football field and they're giving you everything they've got, and I'll give Daniel Jones credit. He gave you everything he had Monday night. But that offensive line, that defensive front, they did not give you the effort. The effort wasn't there. And that's what people are upset about. When you pay good money, and these te- these seats are not cheap. They're nope. very expensive. It costs you two to $400 a ticket to go to a game in MetLife, 200 to $400 a ticket to go to a game in Lincoln Financial Field. If I'm spending a week's paycheck for some of these people to go watch a football game and to watch a bunch of millionaires not give effort, of course I'm going to boo. Evan Neal needs to do himself a favor and shut up. Stay out in the media, stay away from New York media for a little while, or you're going to find yourself on a different team and, and looked at as an organizational problem. Who the hell is he to judge judge a fan base and say, What are they doing? Flipping burgers and hot dogs? Why are you? Are you think you're better than someone because you're a professional football player? They pay your salary. That pissed me off. And I, I will say this Michael K. Show had a hell of a rant on this and it, it's it's worth to listen and i agree with almost every word
1: no 100 gene we got we got football tonight sir we got football i mean it's not i don't know if it's gonna be great football <laughs> but we do have football tonight thursday night football we have the winless chicago bears uh with if you ask him one of the one of the five greatest rushing quarterbacks of all time justin fields he will tell you about it he will i promise you uh versus the surprising Washington commanders who are two and two. They lost a tough game uh, this past weekend to the Philadelphia Eagles, a game that some people didn't think they were going to hang around in, but surprisingly enough, they did. I think Gene Washington, let's start with them first. I think they've proven that they they might still finish last in that division. Let's be honest. They might still be the fourth best team in that division, but I don't think they're going to be the fourth best team that only wins four games. I think you're looking at a, a fourth best team that might, you know, their their floor might be six or seven wins. They're a decent team. They have a quality defense. Obviously, you know, you saw what Buffalo did to Sam Howell. You know, he's going to have moments like that, and that's expected. He's still developing into a quarterback. Um, he's had great moments this season. So you're still going to see that that kind of stuff coming out of him. But as he continues to grow and develop, they're winning games. And I think that's the most you can ask for. As a commander fan is as you finish, as you figure out what your quarterback is, you're winning in the process. So I like what I see coming out of Washington. I think they're a little bit better than people thought they were going to be. And then, Gene, you look at Chicago. I I don't I don't have a clue what is happening in Chicago. Gene, is there any chance that Chicago wins this game?
0: Uh, there's no see, I think there's a chance they win the football game. I think the game will be very close tonight, and I'll explain to you where my mindset goes here. Let's hear it. I think there's a good chance they lose the football game, and I think they lose the football game because Justin Fields makes a really bad turnover in the last three to five minutes of the game with a chance to take the lead. It happens every single game. It happened versus Tampa. It happened versus Denver. It happened six times last year that he had a turnover on a game-winning or go-ahead drive. It's terrible what happens in the final five minutes of a football game with Chicago. Let's address Washington first. In the words of my esteemed friend, Freddie Henderson, my, 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 what do we have here? And what I mean by that is Eric Bieniemy is making that offense look like it's a very good offense. He's making Sam Howell look like a quality starting quarterback. And I love that. I love seeing that. I love all the naysayers, Eric Bieniemy, And now I, I get to watch a Washington team, which was projected to have a much better defense than they do offense. And the defense is the reason they probably lost two of their three games. If we're being completely honest with you, I think that Washington as a whole is an improved group. I think Eric Biennemi ends up taking over at head coach for Ron Rivera. With that being said, I think it's a very close football game tonight. I think Matt Eberflos, talk about bad coaches. Matt Eberflos might be the worst coach in football. I, I said this before. I said that when they hired him. You hired a defensive coordinator from a team that's not known for having a great defense in Indianapolis and expected him to be a great head coach. The Chicago defense has regressed. Justin Fields has regressed. And I'll take this one. I'll take this one. Justin Fields, who I put as my number 10 quarterback on my top 10 quarterbacks list, thinking he takes the Jalen Hurts leap forward, is not going to take any any type of leap forward with Matt Eberflus as his head coach. I think that Chicago end, end, ends up blowing this game at the end. I think Washington wins this game on a late turnover, and I think Matt Eberflus is fired before Saturday morning.
1: Hey, you heard it here first from Gene. I, I like Washington tonight as well. Um, and again, a Washington win. that They're at 3-2 and two through five games, and I, I think that's the most you can ask for as a logical Commanders fan coming into this season. And I love the direction that Washington is going, so I, I'm all for it. And like you said, Gene, you put Justin Fields in any sort of spot and he hasn't proven once this season that he can handle it. Um, he had, he had that one stretch last season for like two or three games where they just let him run and they designed some run plays for, well, no, the first game they didn't design anything. They
0: didn't win any of the games. You're right. That's the problem, they You're would right. take leads and look good. And then at the end of the game, what would happen? A bad turnover, a ridiculous play, a bad play call, a weird screen pass that was behind the line of scrimmage to end up being a fumble. There's a million they find new ways to lose football games.
1: Yep, his his greatest his greatest achievement in the NFL was a three-game stretch where he put up great running highlights and they lost all three games. So that, that, is, that is Justin Fields in a nutshell. But Gene, we have reached our time this morning. I appreciate you being here, filling in for Mo. And we appreciate everyone who was in the chat this morning. We appreciate our audience over there on Roku TV. We appreciate everyone who takes time out of their morning to make coffee and sports the way they're kicking off their day every single week and we'll be back here tomorrow right here same time same place Mo will be back with us breaking down all of the games going into this NFL weekend so make sure you are right back here tomorrow coffee and sports here on Sports Empire Network we'll see you then